to another episode of What the Forensics. My name is Rebecca, and I am joined here again today by the lovely Nicole and Journey. This week, Nicole is going to be starting off by telling us about the case of Anatoly Moskvin, and Journey will be educating us on the science of mummies and mummification and how it played an instrumental role in this case. I also would like to note that there is a listener's discretion advised, as we do have detailed descriptions in this episode of child victims, as well as grave and body desecration. And one more thing, just before we hop into the episode, uh, we wanted to tell you guys about a new podcast that we've all recently found and been listening to. It's called Better Hustle with Ray and Chels. They are two small town girls with big dreams, working towards their goals and wanting to grow a like-minded community along the way. They discuss a variety of topics from morning routines and social media effects, uh, supporting local and so much more. Their goal with the podcast is to build a community that supports one another and help each other grow by sharing tips for success, also while having some fun and maybe some drinks along the way. Better Hustle is about giving you that extra push you may need to get moving, stay motivated, or simply just take time for yourself. They just released their first episode last week, so make sure that you guys subscribe to Better Hustle with Ray and Chels wherever you listen to your podcasts, and also be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at better.hustle to stay updated on all their new content. So, without further ado, let's get into the case of Anatoly Moskvin and mummification. Awesome. So I'm going to start off by telling you guys a bit about him and what he did. He actually didn't kill anyone, surprisingly, um, compared to all of our other people we've talked about. So he was born September 1st, 1960, 1966 in um, Nizhny Nar. Wait, okay, I did the pronunciation of that. It's Nizhny Navgorod in Russia. <laughs> Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's the fifth largest city in Russia, and he's also known as the Doll Master. Oh. As a young schoolboy, he gained an interest in cemeteries, and he'd often wander through them uh, just for fun, just to kind of calm his mind. As he grew older, he attended the Moscow State University, studying and earning a dr- degree in Celtic studies. So he had a fascination with the Celtic culture because they're, apparently their mythology is said to kind of blur the line between life and death. And he had a really weird, morbid fascination with death. And so after becoming an expert on Celtic culture, he then gained an interest in the culture of the ancient Yakuts, I think they're pronounced. Um, they're an Eastern Serbian ethnic group. And their death rituals were very similar to Celtic ones. So he did a lot of research on them as well. Interesting. So, yeah, during like the Soviet Union time, so like before Russia was Russia, kind of, Moskvin worked in the Red Army and he would actually translate for military intelligence. And this was because he had mastered 13 languages. Holy smokes. Yeah. So he was quite a smart guy. Yeah, he was wow. also really well known in like the academia world. Like a bunch of his peers and coworkers said that he was like a genius and his work was priceless. Like he was a smart guy. He had wow. several publications. He had like dictionaries that he wrote. 
So, yeah. Did he, they go into any... That's not how you ask a question. Um, did they tell you <laughs> <laughs> the languages that he speaks? No, I couldn't find them. But, like, I know English, obviously, and Russian were one. Yeah. And I feel like he had a couple ancient languages under his belt through his studies. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, so he was a linguist, a philologist, it's called, and a historian. And I learned that a philologist is... Uh, a branch of knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development, and relationships of language or languages. Wow. I did not know that. So I guess that would be kind of looking at, like, how Latin is related to English sort of thing? Yeah, that's what I would think. Okay, very cool. They picked a really hard word for someone who studies languages. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So as he grew older as well, his interests in cemeteries and death and everything macabre kind of grew. So he had claimed to have visited over 750 cemeteries in his hometown. And Why is there so many ta- cemeteries in his hometown? Yeah. <laughs> the home city. So I guess because it's such a large city, it's Russia's fifth largest city, I guess there's just a bunch of dead people buried there. Like, I have no idea why there's so many. Oh wow. my goodness, that's a <laughs> and I, lot. I don't know if it's, like, strictly just in that city, because I know, like, as we get further, some of his victims were from, like, Moscow, which was kind of close, so maybe it was, like, surrounding areas as well. Yeah. But with all, like, over 750 of these cemeteries, he would take detailed notes of each of the graves and then he'd research who was buried there their life and like do all of this research and then apparently he would be able to like he memorized them and could tell you like who's buried where and stuff about their life that's actually so cool yeah kind of creepy this guy had like genius level iq like why was he so smart yeah, yeah. So he um, had notebooks of every grave from the 750 cemeteries that he went to. Supposedly, yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, apparently, too, he would walk up to, like, 20 miles a day, which is about, like, 32 kilometers a day, in cemeteries. And apparently he would, like, sleep on hay bales sometimes. Um, he would drink water rainwater from puddles in the cemeteries to stay hydrated and he even spent a night in a coffin that was to be used for a funeral the next day no thank you how did he get access to this coffin were they was it just there's a lot about what he does in these cemeteries that just like i don't understand how he got away with Mm -hmm. um interesting But yeah, he, again, he said all of these things about, like, you know, what he did. But I would consider or say to kind of take it with a grain of salt, considering he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, So (laughs) it, it may have happened. It may not have. No one really knows. No one can back up his claims. Um. And then as his interests grew, he, like, self-titled himself um, a necropolist. 
And I don't know if all of the sources meant to say a necrologist and it just kind of got lost in translation, but they all said necropolis. And a necrologist is, um, oh, cro- wait. It's the author of an obituary. I just Googled it. Yeah. So he used to write in this journal that talked about cemeteries and obituaries. So I guess he just like considered himself a, ne- a necropolist or a necrologist because of that. How about necrophiliac? He didn't have sex with any of them. That's what it That's is, right? That's a positive. Yeah, he did. Yeah. just who is sexually excited or attracted to dead bodies. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to have sex with them. Okay. So it's possible that he was one. Yeah. I mean, well, like, he never really... From what I read, he never really gained sexual gratification from these like it was more so just like well i guess it was a companionship in a way so it's kind of filling that sexual void um but anyways about this like publication that i was talking about um it was called necrologies and so it was a weekly publication about cemeteries and obituaries and he had made a post in this um saying that his obsession started when he was 13 years old. And then he goes into a story saying that when he was 13, he was on his way home from school, and apparently he was stopped by a couple of men in black suits who were on their way to a funeral. And this funeral was of 11-year-old Natasha Petrova's, of Natasha Petrova. Probably not pronouncing that right. But then these men apparently dragged him to her coffin forced him to kiss her corpse multiple times and then apparently the grieving mother put a wedding ring on Muskin's Moskin wow I'm just gonna say Anatoly's finger (laughs) and a wedding ring on her dead daughter's finger and so in the article he was saying quote my strange marriage with Natasha Petrova was useful end quote again Take it how you want. He had paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah. So you never know. That sounds super false. Yeah. but <laughs> I'd love to know how this marriage was useful to him. Like, just in developing his interests? Like I guess. Weird. And, like, I was reading, too, that the editor or owner of whoever this paper, he was saying, like, yeah, like... Moskvin had this like weird interest in dead people but like I didn't think anything of it like yeah he had some odd eccentric stuff about him but like who would have thought and I'm like well you could say the same about me like I have a weird obsession with bones yeah a little odd or whatever but uh, you're not, not like going to graves yeah kissing <laughs> corpses and getting married yeah. to them <laughs> There's kind of a, like, a very thick line between the two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, um, jumping to 2003, uh, this is kind of when his crimes kickstarted. Apparently, he got into an argument with his parents, who he lived with at this time, um, 
because he wanted to adopt a child through like an orphanage but his parents were like no you probably shouldn't like don't do it we don't give you our blessing and he couldn't anyways like the agency said he didn't make enough money which probably for the best mm-hmm. um so when they kind of told him no he was not happy and he told his mom that he would start practicing black magic um he would contact the spirits of the deceased kids mummify their bodies and keep them at home with him but this apparently didn't ring any bells for her because she was like (laughs) do what you want like she literally was like okay like do what you want it's fine oh my god and didn't think anything of it (laughs) so he stuck to his word he really did um Because he was so upset, he went to clear his head by taking a stroll through a cemetery. And I'm not sure, like, how his thought process led him to this, but he found an inconspicuous grave of this young girl and just decided to dig her up. Um, So he dug in, like, by the top of her casket, like, basically made a hole in her casket. And pulled out what was left of her decomposing body from her casket. And he said that it was, quote, in a very poor condition, covered with blowfly larvae, and badly decomposed. The girl was dressed in a white blouse, black skirt, old tights, and shoes, end quote. So, I don't know, like, why he wouldn't just try and open the casket fully. Instead of just, like, if you're gonna do it, why pull her out of a small hole you made in it, you know? Maybe he didn't dig, like, a big enough hole to, like, open the casket. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it gets worse. Oh, good. So, after this, he just decided he wanted to mummify her. (laughs) So he took her body to a remote corner of the cemetery buried her in an abandoned grave i don't know how you get an abandoned grave but he knew all the ins and outs so he (laughs) knew there was one he then over the next little while he made like these bags out of nylon stockings and he'd fill them with um salt and baking soda and then what he would do is he'd attach these nylon stockings to the body and this would dehydrate her So he would replace these bags once a week. He'd just keep going back. And no one really paid any attention to him at all. And those that did just said he was the guy that fed the birds. Like, he just had (laughs) the facts to feed birds. Like, that's all. No one quite wanted to know what he was doing. We're going to stay out of it. That's just a bird feed. Right? You know, why is this man buying bulk baking soda and bulk salt and bulk nylon stockings? <laughs> He's just feeding the birds. To feed birds. Like, no, <laughs> you don't feed birds that. But because of the amount of moisture there was, apparently he wrapped the body in cellophane with these bags, I guess. I don't really understand that. Um, And then about two months later, he wrapped the body in different cloth and then carried her home in his backpack yep Um, no so she is really small then oh yeah duh the body shrinks when you dehydrate it yeah yeah but like still in a 
backpack? Like, she had to have been folded in a way. Like, I just don't understand the logistics behind that. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, But within two days of him bringing her home, he was rebuilding her body, he had said. So, because, like you said, the body shrinks during, like dehydration he would stuff it with rags and other materials and then would like sew her up but she was apparently missing a portion of her head and i don't really understand this but somehow moskvin had a different child's skull so he sawed out a piece of that skull and then like attached it to the head of the mummied girl that he was rebuilding i don't know i just don't know how why there's, he would have a child yeah, skull. Yeah, there's just so many questions. <laughs> yeah, like, that's super suspect. And it's difficult, too, because a lot of the sources I found were in Russian, so they had to be translated. And so, obviously, it's not a great translation. But some of the English sources I found, too, were saying that he, like, had this skull and just reattached it to this new this other girl. Like, where's he getting children's skulls without being suspicious? I have no idea. I have no idea. After, Yeah. After he then put kind of her head together, he then melted candle wax onto her face, covered it in nail polish that he found in the trash, wrapped her in tights, gave her new clothing, and then in the second half of 2003... Moskvin said that he slept with the doll, he called it, all night. That's so super weird. Yeah. Yeah. And he started beginning to call these victims, he has many more, as these dolls. Even though they were not dolls at all. So he began studying the theory and technology of mummification, and he focused on Egyptian writings. So a lot of what he learned was from ancient Egyptians. And he even went to Moscow to study the purpose of mummification and traveled all over Russia to study the techniques in different soils. So I guess he was looking at ways that soils would affect the mummification process. I don't know if like the different cemeteries had different soils that would and he like mummified them there Um, i don't really know that's super weird because generally you don't mummify in the soil because there's so much moisture and oxygen but you can create a mummy in a peat bog so maybe oh oh, i didn't know that for bogs because there's lots of them across europe yeah that would make sense yeah so that's the kind of soil he could be looking most probably looking for yeah and so, like, kind of going back to um, the beliefs and, like, traditions practiced by, like, Celtics and the Yukot cultures. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Apparently, in those cultures, they would sleep on graves to try and communicate with the dead. So he thought he would do the same thing and started sleeping on top of children's graves in hopes that they would communicate with him and if they were like positively communicating with him he'd then dig them up and like take them home so (laughs) 
wow yeah that's all i have to say <laughs> i'm speechless and horrified yeah and so like it's <clears throat> excuse me it started with him just sleeping on top of the graves and then he was like well not all graves are comfortable to sleep on so he adapted to this and would transfer the bodies to a more convenient spot for him to sleep on. So I don't know if he'd like put them in something and then sleep on top of that or rebury them somewhere else and sleep on a more comfortable soil bed. Like I have no idea. I but he I'm really curious as to how fast he could dig up a grave. Yeah, right? Because I right? feel like digging two giant holes in the ground is not an easy feat, and just doing that willy-nilly every night? Yeah. Like, that's exhausting. And I guess it helps that they're children, so they're not super large graves, but still. Like, how do you know? Well, I guess the dates are on the gravestone, but, like, I don't know. There's just so much about this that I'm my brain's like... What? Like, why? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, oh my goodness. And so, obviously, as winter hit in Russia, he was like, well, it's I can't sleep on these graves in winter. It just won't work. So, he wasn't getting the communication with these kids in the wintertime. So, he started to dry them out and bring them home in the winters. <laughs> So that's good. Off to a good start. Good, good. That's what we like to see. And so as he started, like, mummifying these kids, he thought that it was a way for him to, like, help advance science. So he knew one day, like, science would able to would be able to bring people back from the dead or, like, you could start cloning people. And he just wanted to give these kids, like, the life they deserved and a long life. So he thought he was, like, being super helpful and was going to make a huge difference in science for doing all of these things. Which, no, it didn't. Didn't do anything. It's really interesting to hear how different some people's thought processes are. Like, to us and to most people, we're like, oh, this is this is screwed up. Like, no one should be doing this. But to to him, he's like... No, but I'm helping science. Like, I'm going to give these children a better life when they can come back from the dead. Like, um. And when asked if he knew what he was doing was illegal and all of this stuff, he was like, yeah, I was fully aware. But, like, that's why I went unnoticed. Like, people didn't find out for a reason. And the way he got caught wasn't even because of mummifying bodies. (laughs) Like. So what? no one was concerned that, I guess if there's quite a few cemeteries, it'd be pretty difficult to, like. Well, yeah, so it went on for years, and then by 2009, though, families started noticing that the graves of their loved ones were being desecrated, and they're like, what is happening? Like, something's going on, obviously. Um, So law enforcement got involved, and for some reason they thought it wasn't, like, an organized extremist terrorist group doing this. Um, but nothing came of it for about two years. Like, they had no leads, no nothing. And it was in 2011 um, that there was a break in the case. So, <coughs> excuse me. There was apparently a terrorist attack at an airport in Moscow 
I don't remember this. I don't know if you guys remember hearing of this. Um, but at that time, like shortly after the attack, word came out that um, Muslim graves were being desecrated in Nichni Nag- Navgrat, um, which is the city that Moskvin lived in. So they actually found him painting over pictures of Muslims on their tombstones and apprehended him that way. So he was originally caught for like hate crimes, but then when they took him to his house, um, they found a lot more than just hate crimes. So eight police officers went to his house and what they found like blew them away. So not only was he living in like a hoarded mess, basically, if you guys watch the video of like the walkthrough of their house, disgusting like you can't walk anywhere it's just so filled up with stuff he was also 45 and living with his parents in this house at the same time and they found 26 to 29 sources vary um life-size doll figures throughout the apartment and most so 26 of the 29 i guess um were mummified bodies of girls aged 3 to 25. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. 26! I can't even, like, imagine what that looks yeah. like. I and knew like, a little they... bit about this case, but I thought he did it to, like, three. No! Yeah, three oh my no. god. No, and, uh, like, the issue with it too is police didn't even realize they were mummified bodies at first because they like look doll like like some of them obviously look like deceased humans just kind of not great um but others like what he would do is he would like put like stockings over their head and their like limbs and stuff like that so you couldn't really see their face and you didn't really know but it wasn't until they like ran tests and like figured out they were like oh shit like these are humans pardon my french but he would yeah he um would mummify these girls using salt and baking soda he would wrap their limbs in cloth stuff their body cavities with rags and padding so they wouldn't like dehydrate and shrink and sometimes he would add wax masks des- um, decorated with nail polish. And he would, like, put makeup on some of them. And then he also dressed them in, like, bright children's clothes and wigs for some of them. Oh. Yeah. And to make things even worse, um, some of the victims were found to have, like, music boxes or toys sewn into their chest cavities or like body cavities so they'd play music for him when they when he touched them Ooh, no i don't like no no right that's straight out of a horror movie yeah a hundred percent and he'd also play some of their personal belongings and like the clothing they were buried with inside of them one had a like a piece of her gravestone inside of her. He placed another victim's hospital tag inside of her, which had the date of her death and the cause of her death on it. 
And he also, in another body, placed a dried human heart in one. And I couldn't find if it was the victim's own heart or someone else's. And I don't think I want to know, though. Yep, that's either the question way, I'm okay with being unanswered. Yeah, either way, it's not great. Yeah. So, in addition to the stuff they found inside of the victims, they also found photographs and plaques from the victim's gravestones at his house, as well as doll-making manuals, mummification manuals, and maps of local cemeteries. Inside so, the mummies? No, in just in, in his house, sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. No, yeah, yeah, none of that is suspicious them. in the slightest. Not, Not suspicious. At all. Not at all. Oh my goodness. And so, apparently he said his motive, aside from this scientific contribution he thought he was making, um, he was just really lonely and wanted children, but the adoption agency wouldn't let him have children, um, so he started doing this. That's really sad, but also... You still don't do this. <laughs> no, you still don't. You still don't do that. Um, yeah, it's so a he really would... good thing that he wasn't allowed to have children. Mm-hmm. Because I can't even imagine what would have happened to those children. Yeah. And so he would celebrate the birthdays of his dolls as if they were his own children. I don't know how he found out their birthdays. Maybe through like grave, obituaries and their tombstones would have the day that they were born and the day that they died. The exact day? Oh, yeah, I guess usually so. with children, yeah. I, I take back like. what I said. Or Anyways, he celebrated their birthdays. Least. No, that would make sense. Um so in an interview too I hate all of this, but Moskvin would say that he would talk to them. Um, so apparently there was a hierarchy between them. So there was a leader. There was an anti-leader. They had their own language between them all. They had their own songs. They had their own holidays they would celebrate. They had their own, quote, like, inner world, end quote, which he said that they shared. And I don't know why, but apparently he grew to... Not, like, dislike some of these dolls, but he just, like, wasn't as attached to some. And so he put those ones in the garage. um, And then he kept the ones that he liked inside the house. And I don't know if they said something to make him angry in his mind or, like, what. But some of them lived in the garage. I feel very least... Sorry. I was going to say, at the very least, he could (laughs) have... Sorry, Journey, you go. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was going to say, at the very least, he could have just, like, reburied the ones he kept in the garage because he didn't ma- form a bond with them. Like, at least... Right? At least put them back to rest where like, they were taken from. what's the point from. of keeping yeah. them at that point? Yeah. I was just going to say that I feel bad laughing at his mental illness, but I find it very comical that they had their own little leader, they had their own languages, he had ones he didn't like and just shunned them to the garage. And they even found, like, tea sets, like, tea party sets. So he would have, like, freaking days he'd spend with them, have tea parties with them and all of this stuff. Like, it reminds me of a child sitting with her toys like 
yeah having tea parties with her bear and stuff like that but this is a 45 year old man having tea parties with fucking excuse my french mummified children like yeah that what that is so many different kinds of weird Ugh. anyways um so his parents went away from april to october and i think they had like a spring house or like a summer house or something they went to anyways he just they weren't at the house um with him during that time and so that gave him a lot of time to spend with these children these victims um and so when they were at the house though like the parents were aware of the dolls like they saw them they knew that they were in the house all of this stuff but they didn't suspect them to be dead bodies i guess um, so his mother had said, quote, we thought it was a hobby to make or it was his hobby to make such big dolls and did not see anything wrong with it, end quote. Um, so they were living with like mummified children for like over 10 years. <laughs> How do you just willfully ignore that? I don't know. And... The thing that adds to that, though, like, the living conditions must have, like, they just must have been so used to shit, crappy, sorry, living conditions, because the neighbors said anytime the door was opened, there was a rancid smell. Like, it was, it smelled bad, but they just kind of attributed this to, like, the stink of something that rots in the basements of all the buildings. Like, I don't know if they were just old houses and they thought it was a musty smell from the basements and all of this stuff. But if you're living with these bodies, like the parents were, like, would you not smell that? Not necessarily if they were mummified, because that stops the decomp. So yeah. they wouldn't reach the disgusting, smelly stage. Especially if he mummified them not in the house. So they wouldn't, like, there'd be no scent at all? I don't think so. So maybe the rancid smell was just coming from the hoarding, like, situation yeah. they were living in. Most likely. Um, because it was not great, their house. Yikes. Um, and apparently he kept one of the bodies for nine years. And this was, unfortunately one year less than how much time the victim's mother got to spend with her. So she was 10. So she got 10 years with her daughter and he had nine years with her afterwards. That's so sad. Right? That like, Yeah, that's I actually just... so sad. Yeah. It was, yeah. <sighs> and so aside from all of the mummified remains and all of the evidence that points to him, um, there were shoes at his house that matched footprints near a bunch of these desecrated graves. So that also linked him to the crimes. And, um, his case was said to be unparalleled in modern forensics by one of the detectives, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely so, not one that we've ever, like, come across. Like, he didn't kill them. He just grave robbed and then yeah. made them into dolls. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, after being detained in 2011, he confessed to 44 counts of desecrating graves and dead bodies. 
So he was charged with um, the desecration of graves and dead bodies, but that only carries a sentence of up to five years in prison. And the accusation of his um, hate crimes, like when he was desecrating Muslim graves, that was dropped for some reason. I don't know why, but that was dropped. Um, So through trial, though, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, as I had said. And was admitted to a psychiatric hospital because, like, he was found to be unfit to stand trial because of his mental disorder. So he wasn't, he couldn't go forward with the proceedings and he had to get better, basically, before they could charge him. And he just kind of never got better. Like, he's still in a facility right now. So he's never been charged with this? No. And weird. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, he still has yet to apologize to the victim's families, um, especially the parents. And he said, quote, you abandoned your girls in the cold. I brought them home and warmed them up. End quote. Ooh. They didn't yeah. abandon them, though. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he's also... How is he unfit to stand trial when he admitted to knowing that what he was doing was illegal? I think because of his schizophrenia, like, it was, it was like the, um, what's his name? The Greyhound guy that we did. Vince Vince Lee. Lee. Like, he was so schizophrenic that, like, well, in his case, he thought aliens were gonna kill him, but, like, I don't know how they worked it out, but he was seen as basically too crazy to be charged i don't know weird yeah i thought it was that if you could tell the difference between right and wrong at the time of your crime then you could be charged i also don't know how it differs in with russian criminal law though oh that's true that's true because this wouldn't be canadian so i have no idea yeah that's fair um but yeah apparently after he was charged and or he went to the hospital whatever he told authorities um that there was no point reburying the girls too deep because once he was out he was just going to dig them back up again so like don't bother yeah just like casually threw that out i don't like that that gave me like a goosebumps <laughs> like i just so much is wrong with this guy mm-hmm. um and i don't understand this somehow he got a girlfriend after going to the hospital, after being admitted, um, she found out about him and learned of him online, became interested and attached, and moved from Moscow to his city to be in the same city as him and, like, go and visit him while he's under compulsory medical treatment at this hospital. This seems like one of those women that are, like, like in Ted Bundy's case, the ones that became obsessed with him, like, yeah, Right? She's not into him for a healthy reason. No. (laughs) Not at all. Yikes. So, obviously, the court has decided not to release him from the hospital. And this was after, though, the doctors tried to start a procedure that would, like, switch him to outpatient treatment so basically he'd be like treated at home Mm -hmm. and they were like "Mm, no maybe we shouldn't do this 
and kept him in the hospital. That's good. Yeah, and this is at least from the last I've heard. It was, like, late 2018, early 2019 that he was um, denied. Um, And so that's kind of, like, his case. And so a side note of when I was reading through um, some of the sources and the articles that I found, people were leaving comments under a couple of them that were actually, like, siding with him and defending his actions which I just don't understand so one person said quote the bodies weren't being used anyways at least in his practice sorry at least in his practice stems from some romantic obsession and not some air quotes sexual deviancy end quote um the bodies weren't being used because they were deceased and laid to rest in the ground, okay? Yeah. There's no use for dead bodies like, at all. leave them there. It's re- so disrespectful to dig them back up. It's and disrespectful sexu- to the victims and the family. Like, yeah. Exactly. And oh. sexual deviancy, like, not some sexual deviancy. Yes, it's a sexual deviancy of having interest in having this bond between young dead children... And you to fill yeah. that void. Yeah, exactly. Like, he wasn't doing this just out of, like, the own goodwill of his heart. He's like, no, I feel for these people. Like, he wasn't doing it for that. Yeah. Oh. And then another one that I found, this one really grinds my gears. He went to say, quote, OMG, he preserved as best as he can some rotting flesh and made them useful. People get butchered for organs, and that is legal and good brackets you cannot take living organs from a corpse close brackets um he only dug up some corpses didn't hurt anybody hello question mark look at his contribution to science history literature he didn't have anyone to love and be loved end quote what first off he didn't contribute anything to science history or literature not with that, at least. Like, sure, maybe he was a historian beforehand, but that works in the ground now. Like, there's literally no point. Like, he's not credible. He's, he's completely okay. discredited himself, yeah. Ugh. And also, saying he's not hurting anybody, you're hurting the victims' families. You're hurting, I mean, even the public, because they're like, oh my god, was my family's rock grave desecrated? Like, And then go- to go to say people get butchered for organs... They are organ donors. They sign up to be organ donors. They are not butchered. It is a medical procedure. You donate. There are situations where, like, people are trafficked for organs, but this comment specified that butchering people for organs was legal and good. So in that case, they're organ donors. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't take organs from a corpse because they're not useful and it's disrespectful. So I don't know what point you're trying to come across. Like, I don't understand. Oh, like I was reading through this and talking to Matt, like my boyfriend about it. And they were like, he was just like, did anyone go check the IP addresses? Like, did they check the houses of these people? Because something's fishy. Like, yeah. like you gotta go. Oh my goodness. Um, But anyways, that's the case study on him and everything wrong that went with that oh my goodness that's wild like (laughs) he didn't 
kill anyone directly. Yeah. But he still committed some pretty heinous crimes. Yeah. Like, oh, goodness gracious. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for telling us about that really interesting and worrisome case. I'm especially worried about the people siding with him. Um, yeah. yeah. But since we talked about um, how he's making mummies out of these girls, and we, Nicole, you briefly mentioned uh, his process of making mummies. Journey, I would love to hear more about the science of mummification um, and kind of what goes into that. So would you care to share that with us? Definitely. I am so excited to tell you guys all about mummies because I'm just fascinated by them. Um, I first learned about them in like grade two or three when I did a project on Egypt because my dad lived in Egypt for a couple years. Um, And then in 2010, I went to Toronto with my grandparents and there was an ancient Egypt exhibit at the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum. And I got to see like real like Egyptian mummies and it was so cool. And there was supposed to be an exhibit coming to Halifax in 2020. Um, But I never got to see it because COVID like shut it down and I was so sad. Um, I'm also going to suggest... Can I interrupt for a second with the ROM mummies? So a good friend of mine had told me, when you went, did you by chance look up top onto the top of the sarcophagus? No, I remember you telling me this, though. Yeah, they, like, inscribe and paint all of these, like, not rituals, but basically, like, healing and protection stuff. So that the, in the afterlife, these mummies would, like, be protected and all of this stuff. It was so cool. Yeah, I actually, I talk about that in, when I go, yeah, so it's so cool. Um, I'm also going to suggest that you guys look at the Smithsonian link that I have um, in my sources because they have like pictures of like the mummy masks, the coffins, the mummified animals, the canopic jars and like so many cool things that are actual like incredibly like um, intricate and super well preserved for being like a 5,000 year old mummy. Um, Okay, so what is a mummy? Uh, A mummy is defined as the body of a human being or animal that has been ceremonially preserved by the removal of the internal organs, treatment of the body with natron and resin, and then wrapping the individual in bandages. Uh, Mummies can also be created by environmental processes that, quote, accidentally mummify the bodies. Um, And the oldest North American naturally mummified body was found at Spirit Cave in Nevada, and it was radiocarbon dated to be over 10,000 years old, which is so cool. What? That's insane. Yeah. Was she it was a found, whole like, body? Yeah. She was found just like sitting up in this cave, like completely well preserved. My mind spooky, but has cool. such a hard time grasping time, like just the concept of time. Like right? 10,000 years and to have a full body? How? It's crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. I wish I had looked more into that, but I have some other cool stories. Um, so like I kind of said, there's two different types of mummification. We have the natural mummification, which occurs due to the environmental processes that dry out the body. And then we have an intentional mummification, which is obviously when humans intentionally dry out the body using salts and other chemicals before preparing it for burial. And so what a body needs to naturally mummify, 
is an arid environment and or like a hot sandy area. Um, And so the soft tissues will dehydrate rapidly in these environments, um, which inhibits the bacterial growth that is needed to continue the decomp process. And so then during this rapid drying, the internal organs are well preserved as well as any diseases or pathologies that the individual is suffering from. And so we can also see tattoos and scars on mummified bodies that can actually aid in identification. That's so really cool. cool. It's crazy how well-preserved nature can keep things. Like, I know it doesn't do it all the time, but with the circumstances are right. Like, it's absolutely crazy what nature can do. Right. And I don't talk about this, but I just remembered it. Um, with um, Utsi, he was so well-preserved that they were able to see like tattoo marks on him and they think they were like medicinal kind of like acupuncture tattoos so they were placed in spots where it was like healing or whatever and it was really really cool didn't they find stomach contents in him too oh yeah i i talk about him i did a project on him and so i have a lot of information about him um And so that kind of leads me into my next point, which is you can find a mummified body in the desert, a peat bog, and frozen in a glacier. Um, So the glacier part is important because it's extremely cold and dry, so it creates the conditions that are needed to dehydrate a body. Um, And so this process of mummification is more often referred to as freeze drying, which I think was a very crass term to refer to a mummy. It sounds um, like you're just, like, freeze-drying your meat for dinner. Yeah. Like, it seems super disrespectful to refer to a deceased person as free dry, freeze-dried. Yeah. Anyway, the most famous, quote-unquote, freeze-dried body is Utsi. And so, I did a project on him in my Archaeological Mysteries course. So, I have some fun stuff. That's um, a course? Oh, yeah, it was so cool. I never it even was, heard of that course. Yeah. Is it, huh. I guess it's an arc course or a anthro course? Or can it, it was archaeology. It was taught by uh, Dr. Fowler. I took it in oh. my oh. second year. Maybe classics course. Interesting. Then? No, he's an archaeology anyway. professor, but... Smew changed all they like got rid of all the archaeology courses for some reason last yeah. time I went on banner so I don't know what their deal is but Fair it enough. was really cool and if we have any Smew listeners uh take it it's so cool <laughs> um so Utsi is a mummy that was found in the Alps bordering Austria and Italy in 1991 by two hikers he is estimated to be over 5,000 years old And through the artifacts that they found with him, they were able to learn quite a bit about life 5,000 years ago, which is really cool. And so he's an example of a body that was mummified before being frozen, but no one really knows how he ended up in this glacier. There's like five different theories as to how he ended up there. I don't really talk about them because there's not a lot of evidence supporting them. Um, But... One thing that does support him being mummified before being frozen was that there was only frostbite on his little toe and they performed pollen analyses, which suggests that he died in the spring and then was deposited in the mountains in the fall or winter. I don't really know. No one really knows what happened, but um, some of the interesting things that were found with him were an arrowhead embedded in his shoulder. That's very important. um, A relatively full stomach. 
a bow stave, a copper axe, the makings of a prehistoric backpack, a flint dagger, and a quiver with 14 arrow shafts, but only two had arrowheads. Um, researchers estimate that he was between 25 and 40 years old at the time of death, although some sources suggest that he was 46. I am not sure how they were able to get such an exact age, um, but whatever. Um, researchers also suggest that he was a shepherd, which is consistent with the clothing that he was found with and the wear on his bones. Um, he also had broken ribs that had remodeled and ones that were broken shortly before death. And we actually know how he died. So he was shot with an arrow that punctured his subclavian artery and then he bled to death. We still don't know how he ended up on the glacier, but we can know how he died, which is kind of cool. And we didn't figure that out for quite a while because they were afraid to, um, they didn't want to thaw him, um, because it will wreck the state that he's in. So they didn't really want to do, um, like a CT scan, but they ended up doing like a CT scan and like an x-ray and stuff. And that's how they found the arrow because they had no idea that it was in there before, which was really cool. Um, but he's being held in the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology in Italy. So, if you ever go to Italy, you should check him out. And you can actually hike up to where they found him, which is so cool. And I watched a video. That's so of a, neat. Right? A couple did it, and the wife was, like, four months pregnant or whatever. So, it's not a different. She didn't even have, like, a backpack or water bottles or anything. So, it didn't look like a difficult hike. So, I definitely, it's on my bucket list. <clears throat> um, bodies, like I mentioned, can be mummified when they're placed in peat bogs. And so, with this environment, the highly acidic water, the low temperature, and the lack of oxygen create the perfect conditions for mummification. And there are tons of famous bog bodies, but the one that I'm going to talk about is the Tolland Man. And so, he was found near the very small village of Tolland, hence the name, in Denmark in 1950 in a peat bog that was being dug up by a family for fuel. Um, so they thought that he was a recent murder victim because he was so well preserved. But after they called the police and were like, hey, we found a murder victim. And they were like, oh, where'd you find him? And they're like, oh, two and a half meters into the ground. And the police were like, okay, he's not recent. Um, because you found him very deep in the ground. Um, but they examined the body and they found that there was a rope around his neck, which indicated death by hanging. Um. We're not sure if he was, like, a criminal sentenced to death, um, which is fairly common for bog bodies. Um, and usually researchers aren't certain if they were sacrifices or executed as criminals. We're not totally sure why they ended up in there. Um, but the way the Tallinn man was hung didn't damage any of his cervical vertebrae, which are the bones in your neck. Which is super uncommon for hangings. So... I'm not sure. I have included, like, a picture of him and the rope in our source images if you guys want to, like, see how well-preserved it was and how well-preserved he was. And the rope was actually, like, leather, not braided string. So could it have been something that was added after the fact? Like, after his death and just, like, buried in with him to, like, confuse authorities, maybe, when they found him? No, it there was um like marks on his neck that okay. showed that the rope was there and contributed. Yeah. 
I don't totally remember how they, um, like, confirmed that that was how he died. Um, but yeah, so he was also found with a belt around his waist, um, a cap. It kind of looks like the night cap that Scrooge wears in a Christmas, in, like, that Christmas story. Like, the super, like, long one. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You can picture it? Yeah, like a terry cloth nightcap. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it looks like. Um, And then, like, the rope around his neck. Um, And so most researchers believe that he was a sacrifice to the gods because his eyes and mouth were closed. The rope was cut and he was placed in the bog in a fetal position. Um, Not a lot of people knew how to read or write when he was alive, so they don't have any, like proof of what actually happened but I find that very interesting um so they don't also know what god he was a potential sacrifice to however the existence of bog bodies in Denmark and the fact that they appear in areas where people used to dig for peat in the iron age leads us to believe that the bodies are actually sacrifices of thanks to the gods made in return for the peat that they dug up from the god's bog in quotations or it could be that he was sacrificed in the winter in order to ask the gods for spring to come bringing growth and warmth and the bog actually kept him so well preserved excuse me um that they were able to find out what his last meal was from his stomach contents and it was some sort of like porridge or gruel that was made from seeds and grains it's kind of cool it's so cool that it it preserves them so well. We can still see their stomach contents. Like, that's crazy. Right? It's so cool. And he actually, they say that he was the best preserved body of a person from prehistoric times. But I don't know that he's the best preserved bog body because some of his body had decomposed. Because it wasn't, like, in the bog the, the whole time, I guess. Um... And actually, his brain, they did an x-ray or CT scan of him, and you could see his brain. Like, he still, it was super well-preserved. It had just shrunken, which is so cool. And um, since they found him in 1950, there wasn't a lot of research in preserving bog bodies, so they weren't able to preserve his real body, and they actually ended up damaging quite a bit of it trying to preserve him, but they created, like, an accurate replica. Um, and they did carbon date him, and it revealed that he was between 2,400 and 2,200 years old, and a forensic examiner was able to estimate that he was between 30 and 40 years old at the time of death, which is kind of cool. And that happened more recently than 1950. Um, But now I'm going to move on to intentional mummification. And so the practice of mummification is practiced all over the world. However, the most well-known is the ancient Egyptians. Um, So ancient Egyptians began their practice of mummification over 5,000 years ago. And their belief was that mummification preserved the rulers for the afterlife. And that being said, mostly pharaohs or people of the utmost importance were mummified before burial because the process was so expensive. 
Um, Additionally, animals of religious significance like bulls, baboons, cats, birds, and crocodiles were also mummified, and some had their own cemeteries, which is kind of weird. I kind of love that. I like how much they respected their animals back then. Right? It's kind of cool. And due to Egypt's especially arid climate, um, the first mummies were most likely mummified unintentionally, but and it wasn't until um, 2600 BCE when Egyptians began to intentionally mummify their dead. And then they continued that for well over 2000 years. And the mummification process obviously varied throughout those years, depending on the amount that the individual was willing to pay for the mummification of their loved one. Um, and the best preserved mummies come from 1570 to 1075 BCE, and some of those mummies have been identified as King Tut, um, Hatshepsut, uh, Thutmose III, and Ramses the Great, among many others. I don't know if I pronounced uh, those correctly. But that's who they were. I was going to go into detail on all of those, but I figured that would get too long. Um, So the Egyptian mummification process took 70 days, and special priests were tasked with the embalming, treating, and wrapping of the body because they knew the proper rituals and prayers and had a detailed knowledge of human anatomy. And so the first step was to remove all the internal organs that decay rapidly. Um, The brain was removed via a special, like, hooked tool that was inserted up the nostrils and often had to be chiseled through the ethmoid which is the bone that keeps your brain from falling out of your nose um and so this was a super tedious task because they didn't want to disfigure the face of the deceased and so then after the brain was removed the priest moved on to the abdominal and chest organs and so these organs were removed via an incision on the left side of the abdomen and then were placed into special jars called canopic jars. And these jars were then buried with the body. And in later mummies, the organs were treated, wrapped, and replaced within the body instead of in the canopic jars. Um, The source that I used did say that um, they would still bury, like, the empty canopic jars with the mummy, even if the organs were placed inside the individual so they must have had some other significance that I uh, didn't know Um, and the only organ that wasn't removed was the heart it was left in place because they believed it was the center of a person's being and intelligence and I think that is really cool Um, next the embalmers removed all the moisture from the body so this is the step that makes the body a mummy Um, so the priest covered the body with natron which is a type of salt that is really good at drying things out And then they place some natron within the body as well. And so natron is sodium carbonate, which is similar, but not the same as sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. Um, We know that Anatoly Moskvin used a similar concoction when he was creating his mummy. Nicole talked about that. Um, Certain resins, spices, and oils were often added to the natron as well. And then once the body had dried out, the priest removed the natron from the body and lightly washed it off the outside. And then sometimes if they wanted to make their mummy seem more lifelike, the sunken areas of the body were stuffed with linen or other materials similar to what Moskvin did as well. Um, And sometimes they would add fake eyes, which is super spooky. You're muted. Oops, I thought I unmuted myself. Um, I forgot to mention, so on the topic of fake eyes, 
um, Moskvin would sometimes sew buttons or like gouge out the eyes of these girls so they could watch cartoons together. Oh, it's like Coraline, but a lot more fucked up. Or, excuse my language, a lot more screwed up. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he would, uh... Yeah, he would, yeah. He why, did that. Why would gouging out the eyes make them be able to watch, like... Or watch, you can't see. I don't, I don't know. Oh, you can't see through buttons either, but... Well, that's true, but at least they're, like, replacing the eyes. Yeah, I don't. I he had a mind of his own. He was schizophrenic. <laughs> I just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, he's very consistent with the Egyptian way of mummification, which is kind of cool, but also not. Um. So the third step is then wrapping the body with hundreds of yards of linen, and so the long strips of linen were carefully wrapped around the body, with each finger and toe separately wrapped before the whole hand was wrapped. Um. They didn't always individually wrap your digits, um, and I'm assuming it was because it was more expensive to do that, and so not a lot of people could afford to. Um, Amulets were also placed among the wrappings to protect the dead from harm. Prayers and magical words were also written on some of the strips of linen for the same purpose. And a mask of the person's face was often placed between the layers of head bandages, um, I have a photo of King Tut's mask in our source images. It's probably the most famous mummy mask, like, ever. And I'm sure you guys can probably picture it in your brain right now, because I googled it, and I was like, oh, I know who that is. And then I was like, oh, it's just super famous. Um, and so the priests would also coat the body with a warm resin in between layers of cloth before wrapping the body in a final shroud of, or layer of linen, completing the mummification process. So that's where Moskvin's wax would come in. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's very similar. That must have been why he did the candle wax. Which yeah. I don't get because it was over the face. But I guess he was but making he was that probably, mask. Yeah. And then painting it with the nail polish. Because the masks that they use are incredibly detailed. They yeah. are so, so cool. Interesting. Yeah. And so while... Um, the body's being mummified. Uh, Other individuals were busy preparing the tomb. And so construction of the tomb pretty much started when they were born. Uh, But now that they are dead, they have 70 days to finish the construction. Um, So there was a lot of stuff that needed to be placed in the tomb so that the individual could take it with them to the afterlife. So they put things like furniture, statues, paintings of religious or daily scenes, lists of food and prayers, etc. were included. Um, so I think that's what Nicole was talking about when she said on the top of the coffin was, um, like, all those writings. So that would probably be, like, a list of prayers or a list of food or whatever that they needed to take with them to the afterlife. That's so cool. I also like how they would deck out their tomb, like, a whole living room. They're like, all right, you're going to be comfortable now. <laughs> oh, yeah. They would just fill it so full of everything, which is so cool. Um. And then once the tomb was finished, they were ready for the funeral. And so some special religious rites were performed at the tomb's entrance. And the most important ritual was called the opening of the mouth. And so this is when the priest would touch various parts of the mummy with a special instrument to, quote, open, unquote, those parts to the senses needed in the afterlife. 
And so when the priest touched the instrument to the mouth, it was believed that the deceased could then eat and speak in the afterlife. And then the mummy was placed in their coffin or sarcophagus in the burial chamber and the entrance was sealed up. And I did Google the difference between a coffin and a sarcophagus because I wasn't sure. Um, But a sarcophagus is just like a bigger coffin. They would place the coffin within the sarcophagus and some of them are big enough to hold more than one coffin. I did not know that. I didn't huh. either, which I thought was so cool because I thought they were pretty synonymous. Yeah, um, I just thought, sorry, go Nicole. I was going to say, in my um, Roman archaeology class that I'm in this semester, they um, they have like really famous sarcophagi, sarcophagi, something like sarcophagi, that, yeah. um, where couples would be in there together. Oh, that's yeah. really cute. Yeah, I I always just thought sarcophagi were like really fancy, like decked out coffins. I didn't know they were actually different. Yeah, I didn't either. But I thought that was very interesting, and I figured I should include it. Um, so now I'm going to tell you why the Egyptians practiced such an intricate body preparation process. Um, it was believed that the mummified body was the home for their soul or spirit. And if they were to destroy the body, the spirit would then be lost. And so in Egyptian culture, the spirit is composed of three separate spirits, the Ka, Ba, and Ak. Um, there's like 16 different uh, spirits that the Egyptian culture believed in, and they all have different meanings, and they're quite significant. I only talk about these three here. Um, so the Ka is the double of the person that will remain in the tomb. And it needs the offerings and objects there. So it will use the furniture and the food and stuff that's been placed in the tomb. And then the ba is the soul, um, which is free to fly out of the tomb and then return to it whenever it pleases. And then the ak is the spirit that had to travel to the underworld to the final judgment and entrance to the afterlife. And so by performing these rituals of mummification and tomb preparation, the Egyptians were able to honor each of these three spirits that make up one person, which I thought was really, really neat. And even though the Egyptians are probably the most well-known mummies, um, they were not the first to practice intentional mummification. And the first intentionally mummified body was found in the Camarones Valley of Chile, in the Atacama Desert. I apologize if I have mispronounced any of those. Um, So this region is one of the driest places on earth, and these mummies belong to the Chinchoro culture, who lived between 9,000 to 3,000 years ago. So they started practicing mummification around 7,000 years ago, which is 2,000 years before the Egyptians started practicing. And so they followed a very similar process as the Egyptians of removing the organs and brains and then drying out the body and replacing the organs. Um, Except they stuffed the skin with reeds, dried plants, and other vegetation. I don't know why they had to put sticks in, like they also inserted sticks into the arms and legs. I don't know why they had to do that because we have bones there, um, but I couldn't find a lot of information on it. Um, and then, like Moskvin, they painted the finished mummies. And so, in the early phases of the Chinchoro Society, they painted the mummies with a black manganese, 
um, but then it was changed to a red ochre. Um, and so they're known as the black and red mummies, which is kind of cool. So the black was the earlier one, and then they switched to red, which is more of the newer ones. Um, and unlike the Egyptians, they would mummify infants, children, and fetuses in addition to the adults. So it wasn't an exclusive thing that was saved only for the rich. But that's all I have on mummies. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was really cool. I loved researching it. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that. I love learning new things. And Journey, I know how much you love to talk about mummies. So I was very excited to learn it from you. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I have a weird thing for dead people. <laughs> <laughs> I totally just remembered something else that I wanted to talk about. Dang it. What's it about? The mummies that were found in Luxor in, like, 2020. Where's that? No, 2019. In October 2019, they found 30 coffins in Luxor in a tomb that were all filled with mummies. It was, like, the biggest find in over 100 years. And Where's the coffins, Luxor? That's so crazy. Cool. In Egypt. Oh, okay. It wow. was, um... I think I remember seeing a documentary about this. Yeah, I I can't remember what the documentary's about. Um Yeah, it was from like a very famous tomb. I think it was um I think there's a Netflix documentary on it. I think um, you're right cuz it's on my list. I don't remember what it's called, but I saw as soon as it came out, I was like, "Oh, I need to watch that." Yeah. Um, is it possibly Secrets of the Saqqara Tomb? Absolutely. So. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because that's on my list to watch. And so, yeah, they found all these coffins. And then when um, the world kind of went up in flames in 2020, they started, like, <laughs> opening the coffins. And everyone was like, please don't. We don't need zombies or mummies <laughs> to come alive. And everyone was, like, freaking out. They're like, that's a terrible idea. But nothing. I feel like it would be fine if they just didn't eat any part of them. Like, you can open the coffins, you can do that, just don't eat any, like, like, don't eat a bat, you, we would get COVID, don't eat any mummified food, and then yeah. you're fine. Yeah, they were just like, hmm, maybe, maybe don't open those. We just don't need to <laughs> tempt fate right now. Yeah, that's fair, fair enough. But yeah, the coffins were of men, women, children, and they thought that they belonged to the families of the high priests who lived in Luxor, Egypt, and they were around 3,000 years old, and they're being um, exhibited in the Grand Egyptian Museum. That's so cool. It's crazy how these, like, thousand-year-old mummies, like, thousands of years old, are still only being discovered today. Right? And everyone was shocked. Like, it was such a huge discovery. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. That's so crazy cool. Right? So, I figured I'd... Because that's, like, the most recent exciting mummified find. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, Journey, for sharing all you know on mummification with us. And, Nicole, thank you for telling us all about the wild case of Anatoly Moskvin. Um. Next week, our episode is going to be focused on Wayne Bowden and the science of forensic odontology. Uh, Forensic odontology, 
uh, is that what's recently been in heavy debate in forensics? Is that what I'm remembering correctly? Um, yeah, bite yeah. mark analysis. Bite mark analysis. Yeah. Okay. So that episode might get heated because Nicole's on science and she oh my has a very heavy hatred <laughs> for forensic odontology. It's not okay. Well, I think it's subsections yeah. <laughs> of it. Because like <laughs> X-rays of teeth are incredibly accurate, but bite mark analysis. Oh, that's a that's whole a whole other story. story. Yeah, it's also the the people involved who like to claim they are experts that grind my gears. Oh, very what's true. His name Mike West. Mike West. Ugh. We'll be talking about Mike West next episode. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned <sighs> for next week when we get. <laughs> heated over forensic odontology (laughs) um now before we go on to uh where you guys can find us i've been slacking with the jokes lately and i actually have one this week yay (laughs) yay (laughs) all right what do you call a mummy covered in chocolate and nuts oh wait um i don't know a Pharaoh Rocher. <laughs> no! I'm never going to be able to eat Ferrero Rochers no. ever again. That was <laughs> so good. Just be like, ugh, no. Oh my god. I saw that one and it just made me laugh way too much. I just had to Same. share. <laughs> I'm going to be telling literally everyone that joke now. People listen. <laughs> Right when I go well, to work I'm... today, I'm gonna be like, "Guess what? Want a Ferrero Rocher? Think of oh my Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. I I thought I had to make up for my lack of jokes the last few times I emceed, so I had to find a good one. <laughs> you succeeded. Well, that that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um. So. Nicole, would you care to tell everybody where they can find us on social media? I would love to tell people. Um, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at What the Forensics. We are most active on Instagram and Facebook, though. We've kind of been slacking on YouTube because, like, only like three people listen to us on YouTube. Anyways, um, we also have Twitter at wt forensics pc that has also been lacking but you can still find us there we'll still respond our website is whattheforensics.ca you can find all of our sources our source images that we talk about um and merchandise we have some fun stickers and pens and if you have any questions concerns recommendations you can email us at whattheforensics at gmail.com Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, to both of you again for telling us all about these very interesting topics. This has been another episode of What the Forensics. We really hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time. Just a reminder to everyone that we are not professionals in the forensic science field. We are just students who are learning and want to share what we are learning with our listeners. We're trying to give you the most accurate information, but we are human and we can make mistakes. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next week. Mm -hmm.